Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Good morning. Once again, I'm Pastor Mark. I'm the discipleship pastor here at New Life. Uh, We're so excited that you decided to come out and join us this morning. Really, it's an honor to have every single one of you here, but especially if you're here for the first time today. New Life was created for you. Uh, About 16 years ago now, Pastor Chris and Nancy, uh, our lead pastor and, and his wife, we're looking about looking at where to, to start a church and what type of church it would be. And they decided to start a church here in Saxonburg for people who either have never been to church or maybe they had been to church at one time but just didn't really like the church that much. Now, it may be odd that a church like that isn't a place like Saxonburg, but as Pastor Chris and Nancy listened to the Holy Spirit, this is where they ended up. And for the past 16 years, they've been seeking to be faithful to the call on their heart from God to create a church that unchurched people would love to come to right here in Saxonburg. So we are so excited that you are here if you're here for the first time with us. We're in a series right now called All In. This is part five of a seven-part series. And during this series, we've been talking about the things that drive spiritual growth or our walk with Jesus. And we've been talking about these seven key principles. Now, these seven principles are probably not the only things that drive our walk with Jesus, but we think they're central to following Jesus and growing in our faith. But they're also the core values of our church. So if you go out these back doors here out of the worship center today, and you look on the wall in between the two bathrooms, you can see all seven of the core values there. Today, we're going to be talking about the fact that we love each other, but each of our core values is not a value alone. It also has an action point tied to it. Something that's really come out of Pastor Chris's heart for the past 16 years here at New Life is that our faith is not just head knowledge, but that it's also heart knowledge. In other words, our faith is just not information, but it's information through application. He always says information minus application is information, but information plus application leads to transformation. And so here at New Life, we're always seeking not just to learn things, but how can we actually practically put those things into action in our everyday life, which is why all of our values have action points. And really, to move into those things, we have to go all in. And each week of this series, we've been doing the same thing. I read the action point, or the pastor reads the action point, and together we read, uh, I read the, the core value. Together we read the action point. My bad. Okay, so let's do that together. They're going to be up there on the screen. I'll read the core value. We'll read the action point together. The first one, we follow Jesus. Take your next step. We care for lost people. Bring someone. We trust the Bible. Read it daily. We engage in worship. Experience God's wonder. We love each other. Find your group. We live in the spirit. Receive his direction and power. We give generously. Invest your life. We love each other. We love each other. The core value that we're talking about this morning is we love each other. 
Now, you might be familiar with that. You may, maybe you have grown up in the church a little bit, or maybe you've been coming to church for some time, and you think that we love each other is kind of a no-brainer. That should be the core value of every church, right? That should be the outpouring of it. After all, the Bible does say that God is love. And so if God is love, and we're supposed to be following and becoming more like Jesus in our walks with Jesus, then surely we would have a core value that says that we love each other. So naturally, if you ask somebody from anywhere, maybe who doesn't go to church, maybe who doesn't go to church, what the church is all about, what's the first thing that comes to their mind? It's always love, right? The church is a place of love. No, that's not the case. In fact, if you ask the vast majority of Americans our culture what they think about the church, the church is a place of hypocrites. Hypocrisy is always the first thing that comes to the normal American mind when they think about church. Church is not a place of love. Church is a place full of hypocrites. Now, that is something to do with a little bit about how our culture has, has portrayed the church and has portrayed followers of Jesus, but more than how our culture has portrayed it, it has to do with the way that we have done church. See, the church was intended to be the most loving place on the planet. It's how it originated. Love was supposed to, that's how they were supposed to identify themselves as the early church. The church was supposed to be identified by their love for one another and their love for those around them, but oftentimes the church can be the exact opposite of that. A place that was intended to be full of love can also can suddenly become a place of backstabbing, betrayal, hypocrisy. It doesn't really feel much like a place like love at all. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before in a church. I know that I have. I've experienced some of that betrayal, and some of it was at my own hand, it wasn't always other people betraying me, but some of it was me not loving the other people. Some of it was me betraying and backstabbing others in my younger years. So I understand that the church is not always a place of love. You see, instead of coming to know Jesus and then growing up to become like him, we have settled for a savior and never embraced Jesus as Lord. Instead of coming to know Jesus and then growing up to become like him, we have settled for a savior and never embraced Jesus as, a Lord, as our Lord. Here at New Life, we oftentimes talk about Jesus as both savior and Lord. Savior meaning he saves us from sin and death. That's why I get to go to heaven one day. Lord meaning he is my owner. Meaning he directs my steps and my life every day here on earth. He is my Savior and my Lord. And oftentimes the thing that we've done in the church is we've settled for a Savior but never embraced Jesus as our Lord. And when people come in and look at that, it doesn't look like love. What it looks like is hypocrisy. What originated as the most loving place on earth can become a den of judgmental hypocrites if we lose sight of what's most important. The church can lose its meaning when we lose sight of what is most important, which is why we have these core values to begin with, which is why we drive towards these core values. Now, I'm not trying to judge anybody here, okay? I believe that New Life is an incredibly loving church. In fact, a couple of months ago, we sat down to sort of boil down who New Life was as a church, we wanted to get values that weren't just things that we thought could be true, weren't just pie in the sky somewhere. We wanted to boil it down to the things that we thought, if you came here, 
This is what you would experience. So if you just came here for a little while, that these are the core things that you would experience about who we are as a church. And as we examined that, we began to examine what people said about the first time that they attended here. And over and over and over again, as we've asked people what your experience was when you first attended here, the responses that we've gotten is, man, it really seems like people cared for one another. It was a really welcoming environment. What's the first thing I noticed? I was greeted in the parking lot. Over and over and over again, we've seen people say that it felt like a family here, that they felt like they belonged, that they had been searching for a place of belonging, and on their first time here, they felt like they found that. Now, that's a product of the way that we here at New Life have loved one another. So it's true that in a lot of churches, one of the sad parts is is that we've fallen away from loving one another, and instead we've traded love for one another with masks. We've faked it. We've pretended to love one another. And when people walk into that environment, they can tell right away. People are not tricked. Usually the people who are pretending to love one another think that they're doing a really good job. But the truth of the matter is, is that it's easy to see through by anybody else. But we were honored when we looked at New Life and we said we really believe that one of the things that are core about who we are as a church is that we love one another. I met with somebody a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I just wanted to hang out with them. He and his wife and their child were new to the church. They lived in the Butler area, and I wanted to see what brought them. So we went out for coffee at Dunkin' Donuts in Butler a week or so ago, and I sat down, and I said, what brought you to New Life? Why are you here? And he said, well, my wife and I have been looking for a new church, and we had intended to find a new church, and we never really got around to it, but we decided not long ago we would start looking, and so we didn't want to go to a big church. And there aren't a lot of really big churches in our community, but they didn't want to go to a big church. And so, and when I say community, I don't mean Saxonburg, I mean Butler County area. And somebody had suggested to them that they come and check out New Life. And he said, as soon as they came here to New Life, they felt like they were at home. Now, what's interesting to me is New Life is not a small church. A lot of people say that they really like the fact that we kind of, what I I would translate it as is that we have a lot of uh, kind of the luxuries of a large church, but we still feel like a small church. Some of that is because there's four services here and we don't have a massive stadium seat sanctuary. But what's interesting to me is if you compare the size of New Life to the size of Saxonburg, the town that we minister in, we're one of the largest churches in the nation. Forget Saxonburg. If we don't even think about Saxonburg and just look at the attendance here on average at New Life, we're in the top 10% of largest churches in the U.S. New Life is not a small church, but because of the way that you have loved one another, it has immediately felt like home for many people. They haven't felt like a number. They haven't felt lost in a crowd. They felt like they have walked into a family because of the way we have loved one another. Which brings me to our take-home point today. Our take-home point is the one point that I want us to take home and live out in the coming week, and it's this. Followers of Jesus speak the truth and live in love. Followers of Jesus speak the truth and live in love. Now, it would be great if loving one another was one of our core values, and, and we live that out. But it's not just our core value because we think that we love each other here. It's our core value also because the Bible commands us. It's not just a, a, a hope for our church. It's, it's the Bible commands us that we should love one another. 
And we see that really clearly in one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. It's written by the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. So the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the Roman church, and it starts off here in verse 9, chapter 12, verse 9. It says this, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Man, we can just look at this, right? Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Just those first couple of sentences can be something that we could probably focus practically our lives on for the next several years and still only be scratching the surface of what that means for our day-to-day life. There's so much practical implementation here. And what I love about the Apostle Paul is you can kind of tell when he's getting excited in his writings, right? Like he writes these letters and sometimes he's like a, like a little mean, he's like a little mean to people. It's like, like, wow, that would be really hard to take. Sometimes you're reading and then other times you're kind of like getting into his letter. And, and I love that because when I preach, sometimes I get excited. Usually when I get up here, if you didn't notice, the tone of my voice dropped partway through because I realized I had been yelling for like the first five minutes that I was up here and I, I don't want to just yell, but I get excited and when I feel the Holy Spirit moving, I start getting excited and I start yelling. And in like manner, when I read Paul's letters, sometimes you can just tell, man, this is like what he was getting to, right? Like this is, he had like built up the first 11 chapters of Romans. He was like, he was like getting to this. This is what I want to tell you. And he starts like rifling off all of these things, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, like it's overload. How can I even do all of these things? This is blasting past you. And that's what I love about Paul's letters or one of the many things that I love about Paul's letters. As you can kind of tell when he's feeling the Holy Spirit, he starts to get excited. And I, I just imagine his writing is like being scribbled down. And the person who's writing for him is just trying to get through as he's just passionately conveying this stuff. But he's trying to get to this point that we should love each other. Love must be sincere. Love must be sincere. When love is not sincere, love is not real at all. And let me tell you, people can tell when love is not sincere. When people are pretending to love one another. Have you ever walked into a home or maybe a store and, and all of a sudden, like, you felt like you walked in in the middle of an argument or, like, the tail end, like, you're interrupting some sort of dispute that was going on, right? Like, you're, like, walking up to the cash register, and they're, like, they're real grumpy face, and they're, like, hi, how are you? Come here. Let me check you out at Target. And you're, like, I feel like you were almost in a fist fight with the other person just, like, a second ago, right? And they're, like, acting like they care about one another and stuff, but you're kind of, like, I don't know. It feels like you don't really like each other. You're pretending that you love each other, but maybe you're not. You've ever had that experience? Maybe not. Maybe I'm like the, the only one who has had that. Maybe I made it up in my head. Okay, no, there's like one person. We have had that experience together. That's great. Okay, but that's sometimes how people feel when they walk into a church. They walk into a church and they're like, man, all these people are like smiling and they're acting like they really care about one another, but I get a distinct feeling that they don't like each other very much, Right? Because love must be sincere. If love is not sincere, it is not love at all. 
And then from there, he says that we need to be devoted to one another in love. We must be devoted to one another in love. Now, devoted is a very key phrase here, a very key phrase, because devotion requires sacrifice. Devotion requires sacrifice. To be devoted to one thing means there are other things in life that we are saying we will not be devoted to. And as Americans, we become devoted to some very strange things, and we jump from one devotion to the next very easily, right? So, for example, we're either devoted to Apple products or Android products, so devoted. We become devoted to sports teams. We become devoted to our cell phone carriers, right, until we feel like they really mess with us, and then we become devoted to AT&T, and then we hate them. We go to Sprint, and then we realize that their service was horrible to begin with, so we go back to Verizon, who we didn't want to be devoted to in the first place. If you're a Verizon employee here, I'm very sorry. Your company is very frustrating to me. Um, So, you know, you run from place to place. And as Americans, we quickly change how we're devoted. Another way to say devoted would be to say that we're all in. We're all in. When Paul says that we need to be devoted to one another in love, it's not some haphazard kind of love for one another. We must be all in to loving one another. How do we even do that? How do we begin to love one another? He says you must put others before yourself. If we're going to love one another, we cannot be selfish. We have to learn to be selfless. When people walk into a church and notice that people are selfish, they know that there is no love present there. When they come to a church and they notice that people are selfish, they know that there is no love present there. But Paul did not just stop with, with talking about this because he's actually directing us to something even more important. He didn't just pull this out of the top of his head. No, he's talking about something that Jesus told his disciples. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered together his closest friends. They had the Lord's Supper together. But towards the closing of that, he said this to them about loving one another. He said this in uh, John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35. A new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one one another. Notice that in no way, no place here does Paul say, or Jesus say, that people will know that you are followers of Jesus by the way you love people outside of the church. No, we are defined and the church is judged on whether or not the people there are followers of Jesus, not by the way they love the people outside the church, but by the way they love one another. If we want to be known as a church that follows Jesus wholeheartedly, the only thing that we have to do is love one another. And by loving one another, we have to put others before ourselves. A self-sacrificing love that Jesus perfected and displayed upon the cross for everyone who would follow him, that we have to put others above ourselves and our church will be known or not known as followers of Jesus by the way we love one another. On the flip side of that, it is easy to love the people who love you back, which is why Paul continues in the book of Romans, picking up in verse 14, saying this, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another, Do not be proud, 
but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. We see a switch in here in in the passage because beforehand, Paul's talking about loving one another. He knows that we're going to be defined. Our church will be judged by the way in which we love each other here, not by our ministries, not by our worship attendance, not by our fog machines, not by anything but the way that we love one another. But then he switches and he says about people who are persecuting you, you have to love the people who are persecuting you. Now, in the church in Rome, the Roman Empire and the Jews were persecuting the church. They were dragging people off, uh, murdering them, imprisoning them, all these sorts of horrible things. And in a short amount of time, the persecution would get far worse and the Roman Empire would try to wipe out Christianity altogether. The followers of the way would try to eradicate the church. So Paul's writing to a group of people who are being persecuted and says to them, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. These are hard instructions. A blessing was not like a simple prayer, like I bless you, and you pat the Roman officer on the head, right? That wasn't what it was about. Blessing was a lot more than that. To receive a blessing from your father meant that you inherited the majority of what he owned. Blessings were sought after. Blessings in the Old Testament were incredibly important. It was not just wishing somebody well. It was a lot more than that to the people of that time. To bless somebody was huge. It was to sacrifice yourself up on their behalf. It was to give yourself over to them. Paul's saying to bless those who persecute you. The same people that are dragging you to prison and murdering your children and killing your friends, I don't want you to curse them. What I want you to do is pray for them and offer them a blessing. I want you to bless them. Mourn with those who mourn. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Take time to be friends and love your enemies. Now, it's easy to love those who love us. It's much harder to put into practice actually loving our enemies. I love movies. Well, that's not true. I love specific movies. There are some movies that I love, some movies I really don't like. But, uh, but there's a couple of movies that I like that give the image of sacrificial love. You see, some of the best movies you're ever going to watch depict this sacrificial love and this redemption because it's this story throughout all of creation, and we all long for it. So we resonate with it when we see it in different things. So uh, one of my favorite movies of all time is Lord of the Rings. And now this is used in like countless sermons, but there's this part in Lord of the Rings. And if you haven't seen that, that is like 190% your fault. Um, but there's a, a point in which Gandalf is standing on this rock bridge against this Balrock. And the Balrock is this beast of shadow and flames. And he has this flaming whip and this fire sword. And he's attacking Gandalf. And Gandalf cracks the stone bridge in the kingdom of Moria. Moria? Yeah. Nope. Did I get it wrong? I better not have, because I love Lord of the Rings. And as the Balrog takes another step, he falls, the bridge collapses, and he falls into shadow. And as Gandalf turns his back, the whip of the Balrog comes up and lashes across Gandalf's ankle and pulls him to his demise. He sacrificed himself on behalf of his friends. Now, in the next movie, The Two Towers, you see Gandalf come back as he was no longer Gandalf the Grey. He comes back as Gandalf the White, and there's this reincarnation. Another story of redemptive love for those who love us, protecting and defending our friends, this self-sacrificing love is from a new phenomenon called Stranger Things. Now, if you have not watched Stranger Things season one, I am going to ruin it for you, but I also feel like that's your fault. It's a phenomenon in culture. It's been out for a whole year. If you do not want it ruined for you, you have permission to close your ears. I will not ruin season two. It is really, 
really, really good, and you should definitely watch it. And so uh, in season one of Stranger Things, we have this character named Eleven, and she's this small girl that's been tortured in this scientific lab in the 1980s in a place called Hawkins, Indiana. And she escapes this area, but as she escapes, so does this great evil that they call the Demogorgon, which the Demogorgon is this character, this monster from this Dungeons and Dragons game that the other kids in the show are, uh, are playing. And this kid named Mike and Dustin and Lucas and Will are all the kind of become friends with Eleven. And at the end of season one, they're face to face with the full grown Demogorgon and it looks like it's going to be hopeless. Like surely they're going to die. Nothing is going to be able to save them. And Eleven comes forward with her superpowers and blows the Demogorgon apart. But in that time, she also sends herself to the upside down, which is this other dimension that this creature came from. You see this self-sacrificing love from Eleven on behalf of her friends. And we see these stories and we resonate with them because we understand them. And we're like, oh man, yeah, I can see self-sacrificing love for those who love me. But Paul continues in verse 17 to insist that this love isn't just for our friends, but that it is also for our enemies. In verse 17, it says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Pause. If we just took that home with us today, that would change most of the way that we live. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We would all drive differently on the way home at the very least. Don't, do not take, yeah, because you know, right? There's like three giggles in there because you know, and I know too. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Do not take revenge. I can't imagine being the church in Rome, a place where my friends, my children, my family, maybe myself, we've been beaten, tortured, pursued. Every day I live in fear from the government that I live under, that today might be the day that me, or worse, my family, suffers for what we believe. As people are being martyred, They're reading these words, bless and do not curse. If your enemy is thirsty, give him a drink. Do not seek revenge. This is the opposite of how we're biologically made. It goes against everything that we've learned. From the time we were little kids, we were taught to fight back, to stick up for ourselves. But as we see here, Paul is commanding them not to stick up for themselves, not to return evil for evil, because he knows that a world where evil is returned with evil is a world that only ever gets broken worse. Evil for evil is a downward cycle that never recovers. Only when evil is overcome with good can we begin putting the world back together as followers of Jesus. Guys, we're biologically 
disposed to not do this. Whenever you feel threatened, adrenaline is released into your bloodstream. When that adrenaline is released into your bloodstream, your brain actually starves itself. It quits pumping blood to the sections of your brain that make wise decisions, and it pumps the blood to areas that are needed to either fight or flee. For me, that's my fists and my feet. Okay, so whenever I feel threatened, adrenaline's released, I'm forced to either fight or flee. It doesn't come naturally to me to bless those who curse me. It doesn't come naturally to me to meet the needs of my enemies. It doesn't come naturally to me to return evil with good, and it doesn't come naturally to you either. You're biologically disposed to return evil with evil. But Jesus says, rely on the power of the Holy Spirit and return evil with good, which is our take-home point, our commitment today. Our commitment, the one thing we want to commit to do this week is I will do good to those who do evil to me this week. I will do good to those who do evil to me this week. We will need the power of the Holy Spirit filling us up this week for that to happen. And there's no way for it to happen without the Holy Spirit filling us up. This isn't a matter of willpower. Willpower doesn't overcome our biology all the time. Willpower doesn't overcome our culture all the time. You can try to do it with willpower, but what you will need to bless those who curse you, to bless those who persecute you, to meet the needs of your enemies, to return evil with good, is you will need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life this week. You will need to be filled with Jesus and his Holy Spirit this week. Now, one of the questions is, right, Mark, are you asking me to be a doormat to just fall over? No, not at all. In fact, our take-home point was that we speak the truth and we live in love. And those of us who've lived for any length of time know that love without truth isn't love at all. In fact, Pastor Chris always says that if love is on this hand and truth is on this hand, Jesus held them together perfectly. He held them together perfectly, mirrored them together perfectly. And our job as followers of Jesus is to get as close to that as we can. It's not to err on one side or the other, but to draw truth and love together. Truth and love is a tension that Jesus held perfectly and he calls us to hold faithfully. Truth and love is a tension that Jesus held perfectly and he calls us to hold faithfully. We have to have the truth. I call it spitting conviction and living in grace. What we call it here is living in truth and love. We have to be willing to speak the truth because the truth without love is not love at all. In fact, when we have just the truth, we become a lawkeeper, an arbiter of the law, upholding what we believe is right and what is wrong. But let me tell you what the truth does in the right context. When we speak the truth, we call others to righteousness and point them to their need for a savior. When we speak the truth, we draw others to righteousness and point them to their need for a savior. But it doesn't end there. No, in fact, this whole passage in Romans is driving us to love one another, but also to love our enemies. So it doesn't end with truth. It is also all about how we love one another. When we love others, the gospel becomes real to them, and they are embraced by the grace of Jesus. When we love others, the gospel becomes real to them, and they can be embraced by the grace of Jesus with 
all truth, we become a law keeper. With all love, we become a blind guide. And I don't know about you, but when I look in the world around me, I see that the world is not in need of another rules keeper, nor is it in need of another crappy guide leading the blind blind themselves. It doesn't need either of those things. What the world around us needs so desperately is followers of Jesus who do not err on one side or the other, but to secret secretly, but to faithfully seek to live out both truth and love in tandem together, holding the tension faithfully, which Jesus held perfectly. The world needs followers of Jesus who speak the truth and who live in love. And so my call for you today, as we go out from this place to live out this commitment to love our enemies I know if we go out of this place today and we truly love one another, we'll be living into our core value here at New Life. And if we go out of this place and we love our enemies, blessing those who curse us, we'll be living out what God commanded us through his word. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning and the opportunity that we've had, Lord, to gather together. I pray that this week we can go out living in truth and in love. I pray these things in your name. Amen.